0: Hey, this is Star Wars author Delilah S. Dawson, and you're listening to Clashing Sabers Network.
1: A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. This is the story of Star Wars. You can read along with me in your book. O is for Obi-Wan Kenobi. All rebel fighters met at fleet headquarters to plan their attack. Princess Leia addressed them.
2: Obi-Wan never told you what happened to your father. He told me enough. He told me you killed him. No, I am your father. Hello, I am C-3PO, and you are about to listen to the story of Star Wars. Another chapter is here. Welcome to Don't Burn the Sacred Text. I am one of your hosts, Brandon, and I am with my co-host. She is more powerful than Vi Marati in Phasma's Armor. It's Lindsay.
0: Hey, wait, what?
1: <laughs> Nothing like setting realistic expectations there, Brandon. <laughs> I do what I can. <laughs> One of these days I'll live up to it, I swear.
2: Alright, I'm holding you to that. And we there was another voice uh that, that we have on in the episode with us. Uh we are super excited to have Miss Delilah S. Dawson. Hi. So um I just have to say I'm gonna let Lindsay geek out in just a minute, but um I absolutely love your work, and I know we have, we've talked on Twitter a couple times. I, I read the, uh, the hit series, and all I want to say is please, God, somebody order the third book because I need it.
0: Oh, thank you. Yeah, I get that email every now and then, and it's always like, I have bad news for you, friend. <sighs> oh. <laughs> Look, Brandon is still going to champion that cause for you, though. So if anyone's going to make it happen, it's this good.
2: I, I'm going to do what I have to do. It, you know, yeah. if
0: there was ever a time for *Hit* to be made into like a TV miniseries, you would think right now would be right it.
2: Exactly. Oh, my gosh. I mean, I was literally hooked from the first scene. Uh, and and so I got the second book. I finished both of them in probably about six or seven days. And uh, oh, my- I was like ready to go after school to go to the library and get the third book. And, and all my hopes and dreams were shattered.
0: There's always time. I mean, what, how long did George R.R. Martin go between the first Game of Thrones and like wherever we are now, like 20 years?
2: (laughs) That's that's a very good point.
0: And counting. If people listening don't know, it is about if um, banks bought all of America's debt and turned the children of debtors into mercenary bounty hunters. (laughs) And
2: the thing I really like about it is, uh, I mean, one, the storyline's great, but I like dystopian future books, and you kind of have a dystopian future, but like on the day it starts.
0: Yeah, I call it like a pre-dystopian. Yeah. But yeah, no, when when I wanted to write Star Wars and I got kind of serious about it, I asked my agent to send several of my books to the Delray editors, and that was the ones I wanted her to send to them.
2: I mean, you can't go wrong there. So, so tell us about that, how you kind of got started into Star Wars, both as a fan and um, as a writer.
0: Well, I mean, I started as a fan. I was born in 77. So back then you couldn't really watch things on demand, but star Wars was just kind of always in my life. I had Luke Skywalker sheets. I had, um, all of the books with, uh, you know, the, the cassette tape that R2 beeps and you, you stop it or turn the page or whatever. And, um, when they came on TV, we watched them return of the Jedi was the first one I saw in the theater. And, uh, the Ewoks battle for Endor was the first thing I was allowed to stay up late on a school night to watch. It was a really big deal. I have all of, I still have my princess Nisa, but I lost my pap blue wicket and, uh, my little nippet, I guess when I was in college and my parents cleaned out the house, but yeah, I've been, I've been all in from the start. Um, <laughs> and, and then, um, when I, I, I didn't even ever think I'd be able to write, like, I didn't want to be a writer when I was a kid. I didn't think it was possible. I thought writers were like, nuns or surgeons that had like this golden calling and I didn't have that so I didn't write a book till I was 31 um I guess my first book came out in 2012 and then my friend Chuck Wendig tweeted one day that he wanted to write a Star Wars book and within a year he had written a Star Wars book and I was like oh that's all you have to do um so I started tweeting about it and it did not happen that quickly for me um but I like I expressed interest I had you know five years of a pretty solid career under me Um, I had some friends who'd written Star Wars who I, I, you know, asked to put in a good word for me. Um, And then I asked my agent to kind of send some of my books to Del Rey that might have some of the things you would look for in a Star Wars book. So not my romance, but my YA. Um, So I think they sent you like Wake of Vultures and Hit and Strike, that sort of thing. And uh, the Star Wars editors are um, really careful about matching people with books. So, you know, I feel like all of the things that I've gotten to write for them have been very much, you know, Delilah Dawson books.
1: Yeah, it definitely comes through. You certainly have such a unique take on Star Wars and just being able to put us in a different place than we typically are as the audience, which is just a ton of fun. Um, And I was laughing, too, when you said that your parents threw out some of your stuff when you went to college. Same exact thing happened to me. I had case upon case of every Star Wars book a, at the time, 17-year-old could probably have. Everything from the um, Young Adult Master and Apprentice series all throughout the EU. And I go to college, and about a week later, my mom sends me a picture and an email just goes, I took all of these to Goodwill today. <laughs> oh, my God. God. Oh, my God. I, every because, now and
0: then, like, hey, We killed the dog. Like, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs>
1: but more expensive every now and then I go on eBay and I find like the most expensive version of a book imaginable. And I just send it to my mom. <laughs> like, remember when you threw this out? Look what you've done. Yeah.
0: You yeah, I was going through the attic when I was a kid and I found an old army trunk full of unopened 1977 Star Wars toys. And I went downstairs to my mom and I was like, I think we're rich now. And she was like, no, those are your uncle Lee's. We can't touch them. And I was like, okay, how would he, I mean, there's, <laughs> I haven't heard from him in 10 years, I have a feeling, but yeah, no, he came back and claimed those, and I think uh, lived on that for a couple of years. Oh, could you imagine? That's so funny, though. So,
1: it sounds like the Star Wars also kind of ran in your family.
0: Oh, no, um, I mean, my my dad liked it fine, he was much bigger into the uh, long version of Dune, um, or say, Enemy Minds, um... But no, I was—I'm kind of the weirdest one in my family. So I'm—I'm I'm the one that latched on. Like he would watch the movies when they came on on Sunday at three o'clock, uh, you know, on NBC or whatever. But you know, I was the one that had the toys and the stuffed animals and the books and um, yeah, that was—it was. It was I, I was the only one who was obsessed. there. he was really into Alf. So th- I think they're taking more mainstream. <laughs> in that period of time where Star Wars was not mainstream for twenty years, I think my dad just kind of noped out.
1: Wow, that's so, well, I'm glad you hung on there because really and truly Phasma is my all-time favorite Star Wars book. Um, and of course, I loved Black Spire and really dug into that. So I really wanted to start off by asking you, did you see Black Spire and the continuation of these characters as a sequel to Phasma? I know a lot of people are equating it and saying it's a fantastic sequel, but is that really how you pictured it? Or was it more of like a standalone project for you?
0: Um, It's, it's both Uh, mentally. I think of it as the unofficial sequel to Phasma, but at the same time, um, you know, it was written that if you've never read a star Wars book before, but have only seen, you know, force awakens and the last Jedi, you should be able to read that just fine and not feel excluded or talked over. Um, If you have read other books, but not Phasma, you should read it and know what's going on well enough and you know if you like it maybe get to go read phasma later and check it in but it's supposed to be you know it was written so that hopefully whichever of those three camps you're in um you know whether you love phasma hadn't read phasma or had never read a star wars book hopefully it should make enough sense that you'll feel you know immersed in the world and be able to you know appreciate the the subtleties of the park when you get there i just i never want to be a gatekeeper to star wars i want everybody to feel welcome so in my books i try to give those little touches of gold that people who have read the entire EU will will recognize. Um, there's little nods in there. There's a nod to KOTOR. Um, there's nods to SWOTOR. There's nods to, uh, you know, subtle Anakin jokes. Like, the end jokes are there, but, you know, if you've never read anything, you wouldn't recognize that, I guess.
1: Right, right. It doesn't take you out of the story. You feel like, yeah. well, what is this? I need to, you know, let me go check Wikipedia. Yeah. Um, no, that's awesome. So then, did you know when you were starting to write this, that Vi would be such an integral part of the part park? Or did they just say, hey, write this book about Black Spire, and you were like, Vi's going to be a good way to do it?
0: Well, um, when we came up with the outline for Phasma, uh, we wanted to create a character that would be, you know, the, the the person telling the Scheherazade tale. It's kind of a 1001 Nights thing. And so we came up with Vi Maradi and with Cardinal. Um... But originally her name was Amaka Marati. Uh And right before Phasma came out, like right before the book went to printer, we got a message from overhead somewhere that said, hey, would it be OK if we used this character, changed her first name and used her in the Galaxy's Edge parks? And we were like, yes. <laughs> How do you say no to that? So luckily, her name was weird enough that it was pretty easy to find and replace. Like, there's no other words that contain Mako. I thought her name wasn't something like Bob, you know, but we <laughs> managed to switch all that around. And, you know, we didn't know. Um, we didn't really know anything. Uh, lots of times Star Wars will say, you know, use this, don't use this, here's a name, here's a planet. And you have no idea what role it plays. Um, but then we didn't really know she would be a big deal. They had the Galactic Knights 2017 I think maybe where they did like the big Galaxy's Edge announcement and they had a card, a collectible card that said like, you know, Vi Moradi fights the First Order and there was kind of a picture of her and she kind of looked like Black Barbie, she had this huge ponytail and she was like fighting off uh, Stormtroopers with a blasphemer like, oh my god, it's Vi, that's crazy wow, I can't believe she's in this, but even then like, we did not know what a big deal she would be um, until the idea for Bla- until the, you know, the, the order for Black Spire as a book came down and you know, we were kind of told the the general scope of the book would be, you know, all by and black spire. It just works so nicely. I'm so grateful that I got to to write it. Because, uh, you know, in Star Wars, any character you create, you don't own it. Anyone can write anything except maybe Zahn and Thrawn. I don't think anybody else is allowed to write Thrawn, but in general, a little
1: bit of an exception. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. Um, so no, I'm super grateful for that. But no, we had we had no idea that she would be a a person walking around the park. It is it was it's otherworldly and amazing. I I always liken it to like that day on Sesame Street where Snuffleupagus finally showed up and Big Bird was like, I told you, he was (laughs) like, that's what it's like with Vi, I'm like, oh my God, she's real. Oh, that's crazy. And I mean, it
1: kind of makes sense just because it feels so organic. I think a lot of times you can get the impression that people cram things in because they had to, but the evolution of Vi from Phasma through Black Spire really does feel natural and organic. Um, but you actually mentioned one thing that I've always kind of wondered, which is in Phasma, we have everything going on through Vi and through Cardinal, and it's it's being told from her story. Was it important for you to make sure that we never got anything from Phasma's point of view? Because I feel like that's part of why she seems so larger than life and so villainous is because we don't get in her headspace.
0: Well, to be fair, the last chapter of Phasma is Phasma's point of view. So we do no, get, true. get one chapter. But no, that was uh, kind of mutually agreed upon. Um, you know, uh, the writing a Star Wars book is, is a group effort and there are lots of voices and input. But it was kind of agreed from the start that part of the, the emblematic, like part of, part of Phasma as a person is that she hides behind armor. And that you never really know who she is, and that even though we were telling her story, we wanted to maintain um, that that level of mystery and and curiosity, and that she's a person that would hide that. Like so it's built into her character that she's a person mm-hmm. that doesn't allow you to see that. So it, it just went with who she was. But I'll yeah. tell you, I did have um, I did have this one thing that I wanted to have in Phasma where. Uh, and it got cut as as things often do. But I wanted her to have a pet mouse droid, and that at night she would like you know it would be in her in her quarters, and she would you know talk to it almost like a diary, like confess herself to it, say what she had to say, because she never she never opens up to anyone. Um, and then after she did that, she would take it completely apart, uh, destroy its its memory, plug in a new one, rebuild it, and basically the next day it's like she has a new mouse droid.
1: Wow, and um, this would be when she already joined the first order, right? Yeah,
0: this was in the first order. Yeah, so that'd this. be um, And we couldn't do it, but in my head, like Phasma still has this mouse choice that she she ritually kills and rebuilds every night because she is hold clinging so so heavily to her secrets.
2: Wow, that'd total awesome. total head right there. Um, <laughs> I I accept and insert. Um, wh- you know Phasma. Well, first of all, Lindsay was very humble about Phasma being her favorite book. She has a phasma tattoo because of that book. I just want to make sure that that's... Oh, yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> um, but one of the, the things I really love about that book is because it's kind of third-hand, uh, the story that we're getting, there to some extent, Like it could all be true or none of it could be true, right? There's that little bit of mystery. But with Black Spire, you got much more intimate with uh, the characters and, and particularly the struggles they're going through with, uh, you know depression, PTSD, things, you know, you said very clearly, you know, trauma is traumatic. So was that something that naturally evolved as you were telling the story? Or was that something intentional that you went in saying, like, this is something I need to focus on?
0: I mean, again, it's it's both. Um, as we, you know, they, they tell you kind of when and where to start a Star Wars book, because it has to fit in, in its continuity um, in the right moment. And uh, knowing the moment that I would be starting with Vi, I had to consider where she had just come from and what she was going through. Um, I've read a lot of Star Wars books and in the old EU, and I have never seen or at least I don't remember having seen it be tackled the, the PTSD of these people that have been fighting this war in space. Um, you know, we see them kind of like fight, almost die. And, you know, then Qui-Gon like straightens his robes and goes on basically. Um, but we don't always talk about like, these are, you're talking about war veterans actively fighting a war and throwing them in Bacta isn't always going to fix them. We don't see like space psychologists. You don't see, you know, Luke with his new arm talking to someone about his feelings. You see a robot clasping his wrist shut and being like, all right, man, go fight some more guys. Um, and also, you know, having seen the movie Skyfall, where we see James Bond that we've watched be so smooth all these years, we see him, you know, take off his shirt and show all the scars and bullet holes underneath. We see him uh, popping a ton of pills and drinking alcohol, uh, you know, numbing the pain, and he has this broken body. And I really wanted to show that in Star Wars, that these people that we look up to as heroes are are human, that they have wounds, uh, physical and emotional but part of what makes them heroes is that they they choose to keep fighting for it. Like Vi doesn't wake up and go, well, I feel pretty rotten. I guess I just won't fight the stormtroopers today. She wakes up and takes a punch in the face for an old woman because that's what being part of the resistance is about. Um, and, you know, I, I have PTSD and I have uh, chronic disease and I have um, like there's a line in there where the, the droid says to her, like, you have the spine of a 90 year old woman. And like that is a line I got from my spine surgeon while writing this book. Oh, wow. Um, I have to like man- actively manage, uh, my neck and spine while writing, or I will like throw myself out and end up in bed. I wrote a lot of this book on my back on like two heating pads with like an elevated, it's a whole, it's a whole thing. So yeah, a lot of it also has to do with, you know, we, we've admitted these people are in their you know, probably mid to late thirties, like your body starts breaking down. I don't care what kind of space pills they're giving you. Um, so yeah, it was, it came from a very, um, natural and honest place of let's, You know, we're going to talk about the adventures. We're going to talk about the humor in the family. We're going to have Pook saying little naughty things. We're going to have, you know, Kath doing awful things. But, you know, part of this journey should be these two people trying to heal because that's what they would be doing.
2: Well, I I just have to say, like, it's awesome to hear, you know, you bringing your own life experience. And and I have anxiety, depression and PTSD as well. And so it really spoke to me. um, and, And I'm glad that. People are taking up that mantle now because, you know, we've seen it in Alphabet Squadron and a couple other books, uh, you know, dealing with this, this post-war trauma. Um, and I think it's really powerful and I think it's an avenue, especially because the novels are something really the adults are focused on uh, that, that needs to be talked about. You know, we even see it with Luke in... Uh, the Last Jedi. So I thought it was really powerful. And I said this on our Black Spire episode uh, that we did. And so I'm not just saying this to brown nose, but like literally this might be the best written book in the Star Wars canon um, because of how it handles those really tough situations.
0: Thank you. That that really means a lot. I I don't know. I I want. I feel like it's one of the great powers of Star Wars that it helps everybody feel less alone. and And writing about it makes me feel less alone too.
2: Mm, yeah that's powerful you know and and that's the thing like star wars is found family right and to some extent like even if we've only met them online you know these people are our found family
0: yep yeah you go to celebration and you feel that it's the nicest warmest most family-like welcoming con it's just you go there and none of the negativity you see online about star wars is there because it takes work to get there and be there and everybody's just there for everybody
2: God, I can't wait. I get to go to my first celebration this year.
0: So <laughs> oh my excited. God, Diana, it's going to be so good because you can walk to Disneyland from the convention center.
1: It's going to be the best. So speaking though of found family and being able to work with this community and have these shared experiences and stories, what was it like, um, or did you even really take the chance to collaborate with Zoraida Cordova while you were writing Black Spire?
0: I mean, a little bit. The way that the timing worked out, she had already finished first, her first draft by the time that I started uh, getting into mine and and learned you know, that she was part of it, too, because everything is very secretive and fast. And we also have different editors. She's through, I think, Disney or DK, and I'm through Delray. So although like, we're friends, we didn't know what was going on necessarily. Um, once we did, we did talk a little bit back and forth. Did you use this? Did you use that? Did you go here? What did you say about this? Um, That was super helpful. I love Zoraida. We have um, just a great time hanging out, especially when we were at Disneyland, and uh, I'm so grateful that she and I got to experience the the Orlando Black Spire Galaxy's Edge opening together. Um, but yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting. We were both, say, writing like Oga Gara for the first time. Um, Oga, we had, you know, three or four pages on her, her history, how she runs her town, her relationships, uh, but we didn't have a voice, and so we both had to kind of pioneer her voice and try to nail, you know, whatever... St- whatever the Imagineers had in mind, um, which was yeah. was pretty cool. And I, I guess we both had very similar thoughts because I don't think we had a ton of edits.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so I'm actually really happy you brought Oga up. Um, I thought it was amazing in Black Spire that you really addressed this head on. But I was used to, because you put me in this headspace, in Phasma for the first time, it was okay for a villain to just be a villain. And there wasn't really any kind of redemption or, oh, it's okay she's doing these things because look what was done to her. It was just Phasma's a villain, and that was awesome. And then we have Cardinal, who turns into Archex, and it's a little bit more of a blurred line. And then we have Oga, who, you know, you mentioned it's, it really is difficult to say— Who's a villain and who's not, because they might not necessarily be doing bad things all the time. They might not even know it's a bad thing. Mm-hmm. So with all these interesting characters and with these antagonists that you have, what do you think it really means to be a villain in Star Wars, or how do we go about defining that?
0: I mean, I think it all goes back to one of our, our famous uh, Star Wars quotes of, from a certain point of view. <laughs> <laughs> um, because we have to consider, you know, uh, every planet on Star Wars has its own, uh, you know, its, its own environment, climate, history, countries, you know, continents, everything like that. And some of them are, uh, you know, you have things that are very uh, regimented or run by governments. You have places that are very wild. You have places that are forgotten, like where, where Phasma grew up in Parnassus. But we know that one of the things that every planet has are these mobsters um, and that that's that's just part of this world because you can't you can't govern you know 50 50,000 planets um, at once even if you're trying um, so you know you just try to consider like okay a mobster wants you know they, they want to make money but you have to have like a thriving community with a uh, you know, a, a working spaceport and, um, you know, functional food farms. Like, in order to run a place and make money off it, it has to be run well. And so you've got characters like Ogo where it's in her best interest to take care of this place and to make sure that, you know, people are behaving. And, and it's kind of an in- justify-the-means thing. So she's only a villain if you're on the other side of her or Black Spire. Um, but, you know, it's also, it's not mentioned in there. Like, it's not, you, you pay her, but it's it's not horrible extortion because she wants you there and being happy. You know, it's it's an outpost. People don't have to be there. They can hop the nearest uh, ship and go somewhere else. So, you know, I think that uh, it's like that. That scene that we, we open with her on, with her and Doran, I think sets her up as a character very well. Um, you know, just showing what happens if you cross her. She doesn't hurt anybody else. She doesn't do anything else bad. Um, I mean, she fires a waitress. But, yeah, I, you know, I think these are people that you're going to see in Star Wars because it's it's a lot like the Wild West. Um, and so in a place like the Wild West there's there's a lot of morally gray areas and um, black and white and good and bad and evil and dark and it's it all gets it's all gray. It's all gray. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Does that make it
0: more difficult to
1: write for quote unquote, you know, depending on the point of view. Um, Does it make it more difficult to write for villains or to write for heroes where you have to say, okay, these guys, no matter what, we still have to paint them in a positive light?
0: I mean, I I don't I think that we look for certain things in a hero for things that we admire and how they make us feel. Um, But even even by isn't isn't perfect all the time. Cade, we know, is not or Zade we know, is naughty um i don't know it's it's uh i think in star wars there are very few characters who are 100% good failure mistakes accidents are are very much built into the fabric of this world where you know you name almost anyone and, and there's someone on the internet who can tell you where they messed up you know from you know yoda and and luke and obi-wan like all of these guys we think of as heroes, like they've made mistakes, they've messed up, they've done things maybe they shouldn't have. And if they haven't, you get to like that kind of Superman status, where you're like, okay, you're just perfect. What? Where's the story here?
1: Where's the fun? Yeah. Yeah. I gotta tell you too. I really geeked out when I learned that you. Uh, I think it was you named a character after Lin Manuel Miranda. Yeah, I because said when. Lin-Manuel so good when we meet Zayn I actually wrote down in my notes I call that scene the farmer refuted scene <laughs> I'm like this is so Hamilton and I love it.
0: Yeah, I think that was in the notes, like a point. I, I had him like jump on the table and give a speech. And, like when he jumped down, they're like, this is reading a little bit too uh, Jack Sparrow. Please tone it down. <laughs> I'm like, but he's still, so And I, at first I was like, wait, but he has to jump on and off the table. And I was like, oh, he just has to j- jump off the table in a less Jack Sparrow way. That's all they're saying. He can he can still jump on and off the table.
1: <laughs> oh, that totally changes the scene for me now too. Huh? <laughs> if it makes you feel any better. When I reread it now, I will picture him jumping off in a Jack Sparrow way, <laughs>
0: well, It's that kind of langu- that the kind of boneless languid hop when you hit the ground. <laughs> now I see him as, as like Russell Brand mixed with a little uh, Jack Sparrow and and uh, Mick Jagger.
1: Oh, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> Got to throw Mick Jagger in there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So
1: I mean, you always do say you get um. You get some great inspiration for some great places. If I'm not mistaken, wasn't Brooklyn Nine-Nine another source of inspiration for you?
0: Yeah, that's my... So I can't go to sleep unless there's kind of something something playing on a TV that's super comforting. My brain just won't turn off. I'll stay up all night like a hamster in a wheel. So I've learned that if I have these TV shows I've seen a million times. So it's basically um, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, Community, Bob's Burgers, The Office, if my husband isn't around. I just put on one of those shows and kind of fall asleep to it. So Brooklyn nine, nine has been my last year. It's Brooklyn nine, nine every night, but I love that show because it's so funny, but it's real. Like everybody on that team knows they're flawed, knows they're weird. They support each other. They love each other and they still do tough work. Like, Yeah, it's funny, but like they still go out with guns and save people and put each, you know, put their lives on the line and save each other. So that was part of the inspiration for this, where you know, Vi has to find her found family, and it's not like you know she has uh, ten perfect recruits with perfect grades who can fly ships. She's on this backwater planet trying to collect these ramshackle people who don't even really quite believe in the resistance. So I feel like it has a very Brooklyn Nine-Nine edge, and that they're kind of flawed people that are coming together. you know, for a just cause and kind of learning to be a family.
1: Oh, 100%. It's a very colorful cast of characters, we'll say. So that really comes through. Um. So look, one thing I also want to make sure I get the chance to ask you, um, because after Phasma, this was top of my mind and something that's kind of been plaguing me for a while. Um, but you have this incredible way of, telling these stories visually whether it is through the mick jagger captain jack sparrow jumping on and off tables or a little bit more in depth and built out um you know i i always think of phasma we see these five stages of her throughout the book where each stage she's literally putting on a different mask until she finally progresses and she finally hits that kind of peak Phasma-esque version of herself. But then Cardinal, we see throughout Phasma and Now Black Spire, he kind of switches on and off and he doesn't have that gradual cadence of who he is. It really is just he has to take the armor on take the armor off and then put it back on when he needs it. And he needs to hop into these different aspects of him. So in your opinion when you're writing these characters or even just people in our everyday lives, do you think they can really make these total 180 switches or do you think they're just kind of progressing who they are?
0: I mean, I I think both are possible. Um, But Cardinal I feel is, um, is a very rare bird and a poor precious cinnamon roll. Um, the whole point of Cardinal, what he came from was when we were trying to decide who would be Phasmus Foil in the first order, you know, you start thinking about like, who could be more evil than Phasma? Who could be more hardcore? And you're like, literally no one go in the other direction. <laughs> so, you know, he is, um, the person, like he is the true believer, good egg, good boy who firmly believes that the first order is the way to go. They saved his life. They're saving lives all over the planet. First Comma, order. They're bringing order and goodness to, you know, the darkness. He Like, he's the firm believer. And when that breaks down and he is removed from the First Order, what's left of him? Um, so not only do you have to consider, you know, from a belief standpoint, all of his beliefs are shattered. Um, his, he, he's never considered another. It, it's not like he thought he would, you know, one day leave and get a different job, you know, at Sinar Janus or something. Like, he was in it for life. Like, that was his whole life. All of that's gone. Not only that, his body is broken. He's going to be in pain the rest of his life. He's never going to be healed. He's not going to be the fighter he was. He, he, you know, it's he has he has all of his masks have been broken, and he's basically like revealed to be a tiny little worm that's been hiding, you know, in the midst of all of this jawbreaker, basically. And, um, you know, not only that, but as we talk about like the first order, in order to maintain these millions of troops that they have, like they're definitely putting something in the water. Like, they're wanting to, you know, up their loyalty, tone down their testosterone. Like, you don't want all of these, you know, horny stormtroopers running away, so they're probably dampening their hormones. Um, So, and also, you know, you see when when Finn breaks out, like, he kind of acts like a stupid teenager sometimes. So I figured probably these dudes breaking out who have been in the First Order since before puberty, they're probably having, like, a second puberty. So, you know... (laughs) They they talk about how like the human brain isn't fully online and on board until 25, which is why even very smart um, young adults make bad decisions. So I was like, these poor boys—they're probably having you know they all of their hormones are going crazy. They're missing things that they've never had. They have things that they've that have been suppressed. So he's like this probably like puberty soup with with no future. And you've got, like, this person that you've tortured recently t- treating you like they're your mom. Like, he's going to be so messed up. So I was definitely trying to show that in the same way that sometimes a teenager can seem, like, very mature and self-understanding and sometimes, like, a thrashy little brat that, you know, he's, he's struggling with all this. It's a struggle. I wanted his, his struggle to be a parent. So if we can't get the third hit book,
1: can you <laughs> please do a comic book series Called Puberty Soup.
0: It's just. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's that just like, like whenever <laughs> anybody asked me, like, if you could write any Star, Bo- Star Wars book you could, I'm like, well, first of all, anything they ask me to do, I'm going to do. But, like, I would love to write that, like, 15 to 17 year old Kylo Ren, emo, nine inch nails listening to, oh. eyeliner wearing, black hair dying. <laughs> you know, I would love to write that, like, the Welcome to the Dollhouse version of Kylo Ren. You know, like, I really enjoy that tumultuous a uh, mix of I'm so soulful and I feel my heart to like I just hate everybody and you suck. <laughs> it's like
2: that I identity really- crisis, you know? And and that's something that is present in in Phasma and Black Spire. I think it's one of the things the new canon is really dealing with that that maybe the old, you know, the George Lucas era didn't necessarily dig too much into. So, I'm kind of curious and at the end and this is spoilers for anybody listening you know we see cardinal or Archex. yeah he (laughs) makes a choice and i argued on our black spire episode that he makes that choice and and he still doesn't fully know who he is he still hasn't fully figured out his identity and and maybe he doesn't believe he ever will was that kind of the approach you were taking with that character like most of the time we would have a full redemption arc and he would know who he is and then sacrifice himself, but he never really gets there.
0: I I think that his action there maybe says more than mentally he's ready to, mm. uh, because he's clearly made his choice about which side he's on and what he thinks his life is worth. Like he, he has chosen his path and he has chosen his future. And I think he's fine with it. But again, it's, it's that puberty soup brain, you know, that, Sometimes you make that vicious choice and 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 everybody around you is going, hey, idiot, why are you doing this? <laughs> In his case, I don't think that's the truth. Um, you know, I think that he knows what he's doing. They know what he's doing. But at the same time, I think there's definitely uh, a level of, of rage and rebellion uh, that, you know, is characteristic with with figuring out who you are and and making... Making the right decision, and uh I don't know. I I can't imagine. You know, sometimes you can think like, oh, I could I could have written you know five different endings, and that's when we chose. But like, I think that that's he found his he found his purpose. You know?
2: Yeah. No. I, I absolutely. And it
0: was on his terms. Like, so much of what has happened to him has not been on his terms. Mm. And the fact that this was on his terms and something he actively chose. No one, might didn't tell him to do it. No one asked him to do it. He he chose his purpose.
2: Yeah, and, and the fact that he, you know, paints his own armor, I think, says a lot about that. Also, you know, like he's one of the things I love about Aiden Versio as a character is once she sees what's wrong with the Empire, she's able to take that, uh, the the dedication she had to that, and the commitment, and the the honor and loyalty, and and use it for for good. You know, once her eyes are opened, and you know, Cardinal doesn't necessarily um, get that until you know, towards the end of, of Black Spire, where I feel like he finally realizes that the, the order that he wants, the, the loyalty, the honesty, the hard work, those things are not bad. It's just how you, how you act on those things, um, mm-hmm. is what makes you good or evil.
0: Yeah, man, I, my big hope is just, I'm hoping that there's some, some people in the 501st who are getting kind of bored of their stormtrooper kits who are like, you know what I could do with just a can of cheap spray paint. Yes. <laughs> I oh think that, that would be, oh you know, a pretty a pretty natural uh, progression for someone who is maybe looking to change up their kit. I would love to see that. I freak out every time I see a cardinal or a phasma. I feel
1: like it's inevitable.
0: Hope so. <laughs> I've made I it very it. cheap to do so. <laughs> <laughs> I did it with you guys in mind. Can of Krylon, y'all, come on. <laughs> the sloppier,
1: the better. It's only a matter of time. Um... No, but with everything else that you've done, I think you really cemented your place as kind of one of the top-notch writers for Star Wars, at least in in my humble opinion, for sure. Um, And I know you can't say too much about what's coming up, but you do have the Skywalker saga coming up. So just so that I can emotionally prepare... (laughs) Can you let us know a little bit about what to expect there and how it's going to be different from the typical
0: story that we know? Sure. So the Skywalker Saga is, they, they God, it's a super beautiful book. they I got my author comps. Um, they arrived while I was at Galaxy's Edge. Um, <laughs> They're beautiful, heavy, uh, coffee table size books. Um, but it is a fairy tale retelling of episodes one through eight um, from the point of view of, uh, you know, a, a, a read aloud story, you know, the, a storyteller telling a story to children that would interest children, which isn't to say it's not for adults. It's just, you know, if you go back to episode one, like say you've got an eight year old and you're like, let's, let's go get you into star Wars. Let's watch episode one. Episode one opens on a board meeting in space, um, <laughs> where we discuss a trade embargo, with some dudes who i would have to explain to my kids okay this isn't politically correct <laughs> um, which is not the best entree to star wars you know like kids don't get real excited about that so what we're doing is looking at the movies from the perspective of the wonder and excitement that brought us all into star wars the thing you really connected with you know so we start with you know there was a little boy on tatooine who had a dream and it's the focus on on anakin and and what it feels like to be you know a slave at Watto's with your mom and suddenly these space knights show up and you see the dude's lightsaber and you're like, Oh my God, all my dreams, all my dreams are happening right now. And look, here's this beautiful woman and I will love her until I die. Um, not in those words, it's a lot more poetic, um, but it's definitely a focus on the the power and wonder in star Wars and the, the parts of it that are so magical. You know, I, I, we talk about the the animals and the aliens and, you know, yeah, we have to mention some of the trade embargo, but it's, it's definitely not like a three page scene. Uh, So it's going to be great for reading aloud. Um, The artwork is incredible. It's by Brian Rood, who is, you know, an official uh, canon Star Wars artist. Um, You can see him at Celebration at most of the uh, big Comic-Cons. His work is just beautiful. Um, I I think if you look at my Instagram and and my unboxing, the first page I turned to was Anakin and Obi-Wan fighting uh, on Geonosis. And it's just like, holy crud. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, it's definitely like definitely you know if you have a kid in your life it's a really good book if you're an adult who's a collector and wants to you know just enjoy the the series with you know a one book read through and then looking at beautiful pictures it's for you it, it's gonna look great on a coffee table um you could definitely hold open a door or like kill a big roach with it <laughs> <laughs> a really beautiful book that i'm i'm so proud that i got to be involved with and in kind of interpreting uh and condensing all of the movies into you know one cohesive story Uh, You know, that that follows these force wielders as they discover their destinies.
1: I, I can't wait.
2: So I teach elementary and of course, you know, I use Star Wars because, you know, teaching you have to use Star Wars and um when I start the year, I actually usually start with the, the little golden books of all the, the Skywalker saga. Um, but I'm super excited about this one because I plan on actually taking your book and that becoming my new uh, read-aloud book. So you saying it was meant to be read-aloud like really hit my heart. I'm like, yes, I cannot wait to have these uh, books and share them with, with the kids. Um, is that is that a factor in, in how you write it, considering the fact that like it's going to be parents reading to children, or or maybe even children trying out Star Wars for the first time?
0: Oh, definitely. I mean, I'm writing per, from the perspective of the mother of a precocious young blonde son. Um, so, you know, watching the movies in order um, with my son in mind, I have never been so heart-wrenched, <laughs> um, which I wasn't prepared for. Like, you know, if you ask me which movie I watch the most, it's probably, you know, Force Awakens and Last Jedi. Um, And then it goes back to like Return of the Jedi, and then my husband's into Empire, but then you have to start with New Hope. But we just don't watch the prequels as much. And as much as I've seen all of them over the years, and I saw all the, I've seen everything uh, since Return of the Jedi in the theater, you know, on like opening night. Um, And, you know, we were late for our rehearsal dinner because we were at Attack of the Clones. So, like, been there. But I've never watched them all in the leisure of my own home, carefully and slowly in order. Paying close attention to the threads that tie them together, I was a I was a heaving, sobbing mess at some points, and my son would come in and be like, "What's wrong?" And I'm like, "Never leave! Oh my <laughs> God, you can't go!" Away. You know, like it's it's so yeah, it's definitely interesting as a parent to look at that. But basically, I'm like a ten year old, so I would watch the movies with you know a uh, I'd have a word document open with a laptop in my lap, and I'm watching the movies, and I'm just typing the things that struck me as, as important and ignoring the things that I found boring. (laughs) Um, So, you know, I I tried to bring a child's perspective to it from that kind of arena and from knowing what my son as a 10 year old boy is interested in versus not interested in. Mm -hmm. Um, And then also, you know, bringing kind of unifying the voice and cadence to a read aloud voice, but not dumbing it down. Um, I know sometimes when we condense the Star Wars stories for kids, we kind of lose all of the adjectives and magic and it turns into he went here, they did this, she did this, he went there. Um, so I definitely tried to, you know, put in the, uh, let's see, let me let me get one out here, if I can get one and give you an example. Yeah, I got one on the bookshelf because the box is too heavy. But, you know, I was trying to, to mention the things that the that, that kids would like and would find magical. So, um, once upon a time, in a galaxy far, far away, there was a desert planet by the name of Tatooine. It was a dry, lonely place where long-necked rontos, leathery dewbacks, and furry banthas roamed the hot sand under twin suns. Aliens and star pilots gathered to trade goods or watch pod races in small settlements while Jawas trundled across the dunes in their lumbering sand crawlers scavenging for droid parts.
2: Oh my gosh, that is beautiful. Like, yeah, you, you definitely hit the nail on the head there that, that some of the younger books, I don't think they necessarily intend to talk down to kids, um, yeah. but they do lose a little bit of that, that flair and flavor that um, gets people hooked in to Star Wars. Oh man, I'm just, my teacher heart is so happy. I'm gonna have to buy like six <laughs> copies of this book. It's gonna be amazing. That
0: was that was the first paragraph of the opening crawl. Um, but that's, that's where we started and I don't, I like big words and I have since I was a kid, my kids like big words. so yeah, you get stuff like you know, trundling <laughs> or or leathery, you know versus you know I I, I, love, I love big that. colorful tasty words
2: no i'm I'm yes. right there with you. I teach uh... I mean
0: my five year
1: old nephew teaches me these words <laughs> <laughs> and a lot of it comes from um he is finally starting to catch on and take after me. Um, So when we just went on vacation, we did 10 minutes of quote unquote Star Wars lessons every day. And he could pick a superhero and, you know, we would do five minutes and I would give him like the recap and then we would play with his um, superhero stuff. But we would I would show him little clips or read him stuff that was geared towards kids. And he's five years old and he turns around and he's asking me like these incredibly advanced questions and it's like okay so even though you're five you can handle things like these big words and you can take on more information than than people assume so i can't wait to share this book with him
0: i'm so glad so and it's so pretty like it's got young luke on the front and old luke on old luke on the back and it's just like ah,
1: (laughs) i can't wait to see it
0: so why Um,
2: did why was the decision made or, or what can you tell us about this um with regards to you know, the book coming out before episode nine versus after episode nine, because it is telling the whole Skywalker saga, but the conclusion is not going to be there. So, so was there a certain intention behind that? Was it preparing kids for episode nine? Like, what was the thought process behind that?
0: Um, I have no earthly idea. Star Wars tells me how high to jump. and I- <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty much it. But yeah, it would make sense, like preparing kids for nine, Or maybe they have something planned for after, you know, maybe, maybe everybody goes dark and dies and they decided that's just too much for it. I have no idea. But that's one thing I've tried to be really careful saying on Twitter is like, there's no new information here. I do not have any inside information. I haven't read the nine script. I have no hints or clues. So everything in this book is something gleaned from the movies, um, so, yeah, there's there's no when I when I've mentioned that, like, you know, Ray is one of the main, you know, main uh, perspective characters. I've, I've had all the, you know, the oh, my God, she's admitted it. And You're like, dude, I don't I'm watching the same movies as you are. I just you can't tell the story of The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi without Ray as the main, yeah. the main perspective character. Like, you can't do so. it.
2: So you mentioned earlier um, that writing any Star Wars book is a collaborative process. And of course, we here at Don't Bring the Sacred Text and are chomping at the bit to find out what Project Luminous is about, uh, which I know obviously you can't tell us anything of, but I'm kind of curious, you know, what's the difference between writing, you know, a book like Black Spire where you kind of have control over the the whole story um, versus doing a bigger project like Project Luminous where you're working together with these other creators?
0: Ah. <sighs> since i'm not in project luminous i don't know anything about it except that i'm heckin jealous um <laughs> i have no idea uh what's, what they're what they're doing um I, all i know is that from my understanding uh, we're very fortunate those of us writing in the new canon because most of the time when we have questions instead of getting sent back to you know the star wars rpg book they say just make stuff make just make something up um whereas i, I believe in the in the the extended universe in the old eu you had to kind of like make your book mesh with the other 200 past books but when i got tapped to write the perfect weapon you know i was all excited and i sent an email that was like okay you know when does the when does the star wars story bible arrive like do i need to be here for fedex and they're like there's not one <laughs> 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 like on my yeah, one. you're the bible key books my character books my like my creature books i've got you know dozens of star wars nonfiction, and i was like okay which of these apply and they're like yeah nothing makes stuff up Wow, and I was, can I use the Night Sisters of Dathomir, and they're like, nah. And I was like, Rancors, no. Well, what about this planet? Nah. Just need one up. <laughs> and something like, you guys are just telling me to make up planets. Like, do you know how dangerous this is? Giving me this kind of power.
1: <laughs> Thank God they did, though. So Danger we, is good.
0: We definitely get to you know as much as there's stuff from the EU, I would love to mine and use again. Um, a lot of the the new canon is just. Make stuff up like um in in Blackspire you know we received Zoraida and I got this like 169 page like dossier of Blackspire information pictures uh, maps that you couldn't read because they were too small and couldn't be expanded um, we had all this information but under the animals listed because I'm always really interested I love Star Wars animals I love uh, making them up and and naming them and stuff. There were just some animals named there: um, Lahiru, Dugger Dugger, Pippa birds, and I was like, "What are these?" And they're like, "We don't know. We just came up with the names." So I was like, "Well, can I can I can I fill those out for you?" So like, I I wrote them into the story where Dugger Dugger are like these shy, you know, moon gray deer with big luminous eyes, and the Lahiru are like if turkeys and raptors had babies. They're like little, you know, kind of reptile birds that run around, and the Pippa birds. Since we're in Florida, I just made them um, ibises. So they're described, like, you know, if you saw an ibis, you'd be like, oh, that's a pippa bird. So, you know, we, we get that's to make some so cool stuff cool. like that. And then I mean, my... There, the star sorry, marks. go on. Oh, just my son created the star marks that, that Archex eats.
1: Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> so cool. I mean, there is the one other um, short story aside from Perfect Weapon that you definitely expanded on and gave us a good look at what's going on in the galaxy. Um, so... You did Scorched, which focuses around Greer in Bloodline, and that is uh, probably one of my all-time favorite minor characters. Um, I love what Claudia Gray did with her. I love how she interacts with all these other characters, and mostly that she has that chronic disease that people don't get the chance to see, and seeing how it defines who she is or doesn't define who she is. She is someone who, if I could pick, a character to expand on and learn more about. I wish we had a full novel for her or anything. So did you have to really collaborate with Claudia Gray while doing that? Or was it just like, here's the notes on who she is. Here's what you need to do. Go for it.
0: Um, At that point, I hadn't met Claudia and was terribly intimidated by her. because She's (laughs) Claudia Gray. So I think I might've like shyly sent her a message asking a question, but in general, like, I just never want to bother anyone ever. Um, so they, I guess when they sent me that, they sent me, was it bloodlines that she was in briefly, I think. Yeah. And they sent me, um, I think at that time she was working on, maybe it was bloodlines. All I know is they sent me a book and then I had like a paragraph describing her, um, okay. maybe even just from Claudia's notes to go on. Uh, so it was pretty challenging cause there just wasn't a ton of, um, you know, it's not like if somebody said write Obi-Wan and you're like, oh, okay, I can read 400 books on that. Um, so yeah, but it was, it was really, it was a really fun challenge. Um, that was a neat story. I, like I said, I, I love the way that they are so good at matching up people with, um, you know, characters they can really dig their teeth into. Um, so yeah, I, I remember like shyly emailing her a little bit, or I think messaging on Twitter when she was still on Twitter and she was super helpful. And then like, I, I later met her and like every star Wars writer is such, um, just They're just such a wonderful crew. It's one of the things I'm most grateful about with writing Star Wars is to get to be friends with these people and hang out with them. But she was very kind, and, and I'm very grateful I got to like work on that, that character.
1: That's awesome. Well, I know I love any character that you create, any character you expand on, so I'm definitely looking forward to seeing what else and seeing who else they'll pair you up with in the future. Um, but just to wrap up, we kind of have... Five quick questions that we want to throw at you. Um, so so a little bit of a quick fire lightning round, we'll call it. Are you ready? Sure. All right. Number one, which Star Wars movie did you watch most recently and why?
0: Um, the Last Jedi. I really love it. I think it's a really beautiful movie. Um, I'm a big fan of Baz Luhrmann. It kind of feels like the Baz Luhrmann of Star Wars to me. Yes. Like if I'm on a long flight and I want to go to sleep, um, I will often put that on because it's very comforting and pretty. Um, so I am certain that I have like fallen asleep on that to, you know, on a plane. <laughs> recently. Um, yeah, It's very comforting at Disney for the galaxy's edge opening. We got to watch um, a little bit of empire on the big screen. And even though we had a book signing, we kept sneaking out to watch like certain parts of empire. So I've awesome. gotten to see the beginning and the ending of empire on like a gigantic screen at Disney Springs. So, um, yeah, sorry. That was it. oh that's amazing <laughs> how do you forget that um because i didn't see the whole thing and i was focused on the, on the book signing you're <laughs> we like you know you, you slip out you slip out a little bit so i didn't see the whole thing but i saw parts all
1: right that's a good reason i'll give it to you um all right so then this can again be in the star wars universe or just in your real life but who would you say is your star wars partner in crime or bff
0: I mean, my husband, I, I dedicated Phasma to him. He has always been into Star Wars as much as I have, if not more. When we were dating in college, he had a big cardboard cutout of the Emperor in his room. And I was like, you have to turn him around or I will not get in your bed because this is creepy. <laughs> 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 um, but yeah, he taught me how to play the RPG. I'd never played an RPG before and he, he killed me because I wasn't I wasn't uh, taking it seriously enough. So that's, that's the opening for Phasma is, you know... Me barely forgiving him for killing me with a pack of Nograi in a Jedi library, um, and we've seen all the Listen. movies together. I think even we were even when we were broken up um, for a year, we like saw movies together. <laughs> so yeah, he's he's the absolute best. Um, but if we're talking about in the Star Wars world, um, I mean, I just want to live with the Ewoks on Endor. I think that would just be fine. Oh, so you
1: might have actually just answered question number three then, which is, is live with on indoor. Oh, that would be even better. All right. So we're going to do six questions now.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but who would your Star Wars pet be? Ewoks are not pets. They're sentient beings. They are, they are really <laughs> conscious. Um, and they are absolutely not pets. Um, oh, man. Star Wars pets. Man, there's so many good pets. That's a really hard one. Because the answer would be all. Um, like, I love giving, I love this. The animals in Star Wars are my favorite things. Like, I love giving Ogagara, like, this untidy loft cat that's always just <laughs> unkempt and, like, snarled in its hair. She's like, this is this dirty cat. Um, and I love Waba, of course. But you know, when I went to Galaxy's Edge for the first time for the opening in Disneyland, I bought one thing for myself, and it was the puffer pig in Bina's Creature Stall. Um, it's so cute. And it makes the best noise when you squeeze it. And I know that they can be quite dangerous, but uh, I can say that I've actively chosen as a pet this puffer pig who does this.
2: That <laughs> is fantastic.
0: fantastic. Oh, God. Uh, pors. Pors. And then I'd have 50 porks.
1: I feel like, how about we, we'll give you this. Instead of having one pet, farm, you okay? can... I breathe
0: yes. porgs. I have a puffer pig, I have... A- <laughs> I have tauntauns that I ride. I like it. All right. Um, this one, I feel like is going to be
1: hard because I personally love your Twitter account as is. But if you had to pick one Star Wars character to take over your Twitter account for a day, who would it be? Oh, no
0: question. It would be Pook. Oh,
2: that uh-huh. would be so good. I'm here it for it. Be,
0: I would love to see Pook take on the trolls and just like, uh, you know, with the the speed and quickness of a bot, just respond to, to people all day. I, I love Pook. You really had that one ready to go. <laughs> I feel like well, I mean, he's about it, that. He's, I, I just, I, I, when you are writing a Star Wars book and you get to come up with a droid, it's such a joy and they just become very real to you because, like, you can't make a person real, but technically, like, you could make a robot just walked around talking like Marvin the Martian crashed with K2 and the voice of Alan Reichman. You could do that. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Or Marvin, um, the, the android, I mean, sorry.
1: <laughs> so final question then what is your favorite Star Wars quote?
0: I would I mean I write May the Force Be With You in most books when I sign them um, I mean probably you know when Leia and Holdo and and Poe you know uh, if, if you only oh I can't think of it now because you asked me it is only, like the sun
2: yeah if you, you only know. believe in it when you can see
0: it <laughs> You can't get through the night like mm-hmm. but that's and and you know, also, you know, Rose Tico with uh, that's how we're going to win by saving what we love, not fighting what we hate. Like uh, my favorite Star Wars quotes are probably all about, you know, hope and, and love and, and why we're doing this.
2: And that's the essence of Star Wars. Absolutely. All right, so we wanted to thank you for for coming on the show, for talking with us, uh, for giving us so much great insight into into the Star Wars galaxy. So if people want to find more uh, Delilah Dawson stuff, where can they find you at?
0: Sure. Um, Well, I'm on Twitter probably the most if you actually want to uh, talk to me. I have this policy where if you ask me an ungoogleable question in good faith, I'll usually answer it if I'm able. Um, And I'm at Delilah S. Dawson there. Um, also on Instagram, I'm at Delilah S. Dawson. So if you want to see like some, uh, you know, Black Spire uh, deep cuts uh, that I, you know, things I've talked about when I was in the Galaxy's Edge world, you can find stuff there. You can see the K-2 droid that uh, Creaky interrogated. You can see um, the the things in the market that Archex contributed. Um, that sort of stuff. And then if you just want to go to my website and see all of my books, because I've written in a ton of different genres, it's quimsydark.com.
2: Awesome. And, of course, you can always follow the network by hitting that subscribe button, following us on Twitter at Clashing Sabers. Email us uh, your thoughts at ClashingSabersNetwork at gmail.com, or you can send us a voicemail or text at 832-966-0077. If you want to hang out with Lindsay some more, she's always over in our Facebook group, the Clashing Sabers Star Wars community, or on Twitter at the Lady of Lore. So with this uh, this chapter done, I have to say... Keep reading, keep writing, but whatever you do, don't burn the sacred text. Alright, by this point, you know how this goes. Their stuff, their stuff. Our stuff, our stuff. Not associated with Lucasfilm. Kathleen Kennedy, give me a call. Dave Filoni, I'm there if you need me. Our thoughts? they are thoughts. They don't reflect Lucasfilm or anybody else associated with this stuff. So, if you don't like it, we're sorry. If you do like it... Great! Let us know either way on iTunes, on whatever podcatcher you're listening to us on. Rate us, review us, share us, tell your friends about us, and Dadgum it, whatever you do, just don't burn the sacred text!